We're going to get right into it. I want to ask you to open your Bibles this morning to the book of Matthew chapter 7. Matthew, the seventh chapter, and we're going to start with verse number 24 and read down through verse 27. Not a long text, but a good beginning point for us this morning. Jesus is teaching and says, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Father, this scripture today has so much to say to us. You have so much to say to us through the word. And by the teaching and anointing of the Holy Spirit, we believe that you will speak into our hearts and into our lives and show us exactly what you have planned for us to find out and learn today. I ask for utterance in the Holy Ghost and may the power and presence of the Holy Spirit just envelop us as we sit and hear your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Lord. Have you ever noticed that the same set of circumstances can come to two different people, same circumstances, two people, and even though the circumstances are exactly the same, the outcome is very different. Two people can lose their job in the same situation at the same time from the same place. They are basically uh, the same kind of worker. They, they've had the same kind of education or training. But yet, six months later or a year later, the outcomes are quite different. Two people can get a diagnosis from a doctor, and a few months later, one may be dead, the other maybe lives for years. And we could go on and on. Obviously, it's not the circumstance that made the difference. It's the person. And Jesus, in this parable, words it in such a way to make us understand that the issue with both people, the successful man and the failure, was not that the storm did them in necessarily, but it was their foundation that was the problem. Now, the storm came, and that's what eventually blew the one house down, but, but it was a foundation problem. You know, you can't drive through a neighborhood and usually tell where the foundations are not good on houses. You know, you just drive down a street and you look and you don't necessarily know that because foundations generally are not seen. They're always, you know, hidden away. Yet, they're, they're, they're the foundation. They're, they are essential. You can't take them out. And so, in this aspect of Jesus' teaching, he's trying to say to us, that there is a certain way to build a spiritual foundation for your life that will help you stand against the tests and against the trials, against trouble. 
And that's what we're going to talk about today. Dealing with trouble. How to deal with trouble. The dictionary defines trouble as a state or a condition of distress, annoyance, or difficulty. That's a pretty good definition. In the area of our physical life, our physical body, it's, it's physical distress or ill health. And uh, you, sometimes we use the word trouble to identify the cause or the source of distress, annoyance, or inconvenience. Have you ever met that person? <laughs> but anyway, um, really they're not the enemy. But, but the point I'm making is, is trouble and, and storms come to everybody. I know that you came today for good news, and we've already heard a lot of good news, sung and praise and so forth. And I'm not here to give you bad news, but I am here to tell you the truth. And the truth is, trouble or storms, as, as it's used in this parable, storms of life come to everybody. Amen. Notice that the, the same storm came to both houses. Same set of circumstances, at least, came to both houses. So if the storm coming, if trouble in your life automatically means your failure then you can't do anything about it. But according to Jesus, the storm coming doesn't automatically mean you're going to fail. It all depends on the foundation that you have. So the storms of life and the tests of life, the flood, if you will, comes to everybody. And it's not a matter of if it'll come. It's a matter of when it'll come. And I'm not trying to discourage you at all. My whole message is, is about telling you how to, how to navigate this to you are the man or the woman whose house is standing when all the dust settles, as we say. But the truth is, the tests and trials of life come to all of us. Jesus said in John 16, that in the world you will have tribulation. And what the storms do is they expose our foundation. You see, you don't really know if you're going to be okay until the storm comes. So we don't like storms, and we know that, that they have their origin and their foundation in the devil trying to steal and kill and destroy. As a matter of fact, that's what Jesus said in John 10.10, 10, if you'll remember. And we use this scripture a lot around here. I call it the dividing line of the Bible. Jesus said, I am come, or he said, rather started out by saying, the thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. He said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Amen. That is so simple that you have to have theological help to misunderstand that verse. It is so simple and so powerful, which uh, tells us that when the storms and the tests come, we know where they come from. Now, there's a scripture over in James, the first chapter, that I want to turn to and read this morning because it really is kind of an interesting statement to make that uh, when storms and tests come, we usually don't think uh, about doing this. But in James chapter 1 and verse number 2, he writes under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost to us as believers and says, My brethren, count it all joy. When you fall into divers temptations, the word also means tests and trials. In other words, count it all joy when trouble comes. 
Now that just seems so counterintuitive to how we really want to respond to trouble. You know, when trouble comes, people want to cry. When trouble comes, people want to scream. They want to yell. They want to get angry. They want uh, to solicit somebody's pity or sympathy. They, they get bitter. All kinds of, of negative things happen to people when they get in trouble. But the scriptural answer is to begin by counting it all joy. In other words, when the tests come, the troubles come, the trials come, we are to begin to rejoice. Not because we feel like it necessarily, not because it looks like that's what we need to do, but it's just because it's what the Word says do. And the reason the Word says to do this is because our joy is our strength, Nehemiah 8.10 tells us. And in the power of joy is the ability, and in the power of rejoicing is the ability to stop the devil from speaking. It's not that we render him mute forever, but what it does is our rejoicing drowns him out. Hallelujah. We no longer hear what he's saying because we're hearing what we're saying. And we're hearing us say, thank you, Lord, that you're going to make a way. You've already made a way, and you're helping me to walk it out. Thank you, Lord, that there is no temptation that would ever come to me that is not already common to man. Somebody's already been through it, and somebody's already won. And the main somebody is Jesus Christ, who was tempted in all ways such as we are, yet without sin. So thank you, Father God, that there is a way of escape here some way, somehow, somewhere. I might not see it at this moment, but I'm rejoicing until I... I see it. I'm rejoicing until I sense it, until I know it. And when I see the escape way, I'm out the door. Hallelujah. I'm on my way to victory. No devil in hell can keep me from it. No spirit of infirmity, no spirit of poverty, no spirit of fear, no spirit of death or destruction can keep us from the blessing of God. I choose to rejoice. Hallelujah. Rejoicing is a verb, by the way. You do something. It's an action word. Exactly. Hallelujah. And so we rejoice when we fall into these different kinds of temptations, tests, and trials. We're not praising for the thing. We're not glad of the thing. God knows we don't want to go through it. God doesn't want you to have to live in that place. But we're rejoicing because in spite of the strategies of the devil, in spite of what he's trying to do, we are winners. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So John 10.10, as I say, is that dividing line of the Bible. So if we know from a verse like that, that the thief only comes, the devil only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And we know that Jesus came that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. So God's will is already declared and, and, and the activity of Satan is already revealed. Then whether or not you win or lose is not up to God anymore. And it's not up to Satan. It's up to you. It's not luck or chance. It's not somebody else's choice. You know, a lot of times people in times of testing and trouble, they want to blame somebody else. Well, so-and-so did this. They did that. They didn't do this. They didn't do that. They said this. They, they lied to me. They, whatever. And, uh, you know, I'll be honest with you. We all have been there to some degree or another. Maybe not as much as somebody else, but all of us have been lied to. All of us have been lied about. All of us have been offended. All of us have been hurt. All of us have been, you know, done wrong in our lifetime probably. But the fact is, it's not those other people and what they did or didn't do that's going to determine your future. It's what you're going to do in this situation. What kind of a foundation is in your life? 
What foundation do you have? What are you standing on? You hold the keys. I'd like to ask you to turn over to Deuteronomy, please, chapter 30. Deuteronomy chapter 30. I know it's your favorite book in all the Bible, and uh, your Bible just falls open to it automatically, right? Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse number 19. And Moses is preaching to the children of Israel. He's getting ready to leave the earth, and uh, so this is some of his last exhortations to them. And he says, I call, that's Deuteronomy 30, 19, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. How did he do that? Through the word of God that he spoke to them. Like preachers that preach the Bible do every single Sunday. Like we should be doing every single day of our life when we get into the Word, we do our devotions, we read the Word, we are allowing God to set before us life and death, blessing and cursing. And then Moses says to them, therefore, choose life, that both thou and thy seed may live, that thou mayest love the Lord thy God, and that thou mayest obey his voice, and that thou mayest cleave unto him. For he is thy life and the length of thy days, that thou mayest dwell in the land which the Lord sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. So you hold the keys to your future victories. You hold the keys. If you're going through a, a time of trouble right now, you hold the keys to whether or not you're going to win or whether you're going to be a victim. You hold the keys. And uh, as I said, Jesus has already declared his will, and he's already revealed to us what the devil comes to do. So I think we need to choose right today. Amen. We need to choose life. I want to give you three reasons why trouble comes into the lives of people. Um, the, uh, each of these could, we could spend a lot of time with, but we won't. But in Luke chapter 13, Jesus again is teaching, and he makes an, an interesting statement that I want to take a moment to look at. Luke chapter 13, and we'll start with verse number 1. Luke 13 and 1. Let me find it myself here. It says, there were present at that season some that told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answering said unto them, suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you, nay or no. But except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Or those 18 upon whom the tower in Siloam fell and slew them. Think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Now, the first reason why trouble comes is because we are in a fallen world. I want you to see that. Jesus was answering questions that were evidently on the minds of the people that were his hearers that day. This disaster where the tower fell and those people were killed. You know, why did that happen? Were those people somehow or another being uh, singled out and punished severely because they were more wicked than other people? 
Were those people that Pilate had killed, were they more wicked than other people? You know, that's the questions people have. Those are the questions they have all the time. And, of course, a lot of this goes back to a, a works mentality, uh, whereby that, you know, people are taught that you have to have the balance of your good works outweigh your bad stuff, and that's what determines whether or not you get to heaven. That's, determined, that's what determines whether or not the Lord even, you know, is going to help you or anything. How many of you know that that's not what the Bible teaches? The whole idea of penance is a religious false idea. You and I could never do enough penance to pay for even one sin that we've committed. We could never do enough good works to earn any good blessing from God. Now, I know that there are things about faith and there are things about positioning ourselves to receive, and that's, that's another message for another time. But the point is, we never earn the blessings of God in our lives. And that makes the whole idea of penance so um, ludicrous, really, to, to think that somehow that we're going to do penance and that's going to appease God to the point where he's not going to squash us like a bug. Do you know they still make fly swats? You know, just by the way, I bought two fly swats the other day. You can get them at big lots. I mean good ones, like you could spank a kid with. I mean, they're good fly swats. I just throw that out there just to be mean, amen. But anyway, I got, a, I got some stuff with fly swats growing up. It didn't, heal, it didn't kill me. Praise the Lord. Some of you are probably thinking, that's your problem. No, 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 no. My problem is I didn't get enough. But anyhow, I didn't need to go there, but the point is, the whole idea that God is in heaven with this huge heavenly fly swatter, just waiting on us to do the wrong thing, say the wrong thing, get in a bad mood, do something that's not right, and then all of a sudden, he's just going to wham, come down on you. That's not the picture of your heavenly father. The wham that came down, came down on Jesus at the cross. That's why he was marred more than any man. That's why uh, his finished work is able to cleanse everybody who will call upon him and believe in him. Because he did the work. He took care of it. And so, the thing about it is, Jesus was saying to these people... These people that perished, these unfortunate things that happened, did not happen because of the individual people necessarily. They were, and he didn't say it in these words, but what you can see is they were in the wrong place at the wrong time. How does that happen? Because we're in a fallen world. Now, there's another message, and it's a whole different message, and we can't go there today. But if you hang around church here long enough, you will eventually get to these things and it'll help you. But you can avoid those places. God didn't want anybody killed when the tower fell. And there are lots and lots of things on the earth that happened that that's not what God wanted. And God actually tried to steer people in a different direction. But you know, if you're not listening, if you don't follow, if you don't obey... If you don't learn to live out of your spirit, if you only live out of what your flesh wants, and if you only live out of what your head's telling you, then there's a good chance that a lot of the same mess that's in this fallen world happening to people every day is going to be some of the same mess that's going to happen to you. 
And so it's not God that's bringing the mess. It's not God that's bringing the trouble. Sometimes people just are in trouble because we're in a fallen world and there's trouble out there. But we have a way out. We have a way of escape. We'll talk about that in a moment. The second reason why trouble comes to people is found in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 2. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse number 2. I'll tell you as I'm turning over there to read the verse that uh, this person I'm reading about, I have been both of these people. So I'm not reading to you because I'm so much better than everybody else and I'm trying to help you poor folks. But no, I've been here. In Hebrews chapter 5, let's start with verse 1 and then finish with verse 2. For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. Who can have compassion on the ignorant? There's the first guy I've been. And on them that are out of the way. That's the second guy. For that he himself also is compassed with infirmity. The first one is a matter of being in a world where bad stuff happens and maybe we, you know, we just end up in the wrong place. The second thing is because we have been or we are ignorant or we have been or we are out of the way, meaning to wander out of the way. Now, I say I've been both. I've been, I've been ignorant and got into trouble. I have wandered out of the way, and that has the connotation also of being seduced to get out of the way. In other words, something lures you out, and you end up out of the way. Uh, you, have to, you have to understand that either of these things can get you in trouble. Hosea 4.6 says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Now, that's God talking about his people. And uh, that principle is true today. What you don't know about the things of God, the word of God, the power of God, in many cases, you will do without because you just don't know. Faith begins where the will of God is known. And so, therefore, what you don't know is something probably you're going to do without. And on the other hand, sometimes what you don't know is going to bring harm to you because you don't know that you're going to get into trouble with that. You don't know the outcome of that. That's being uh, ignorant, not knowing. And then wandering out of the way means, of course, that we have just wandered off the path. If there's one thing that I can leave with you at this particular point of the message is this. There is a pathway that God has prepared and planned for you to walk in. God has a plan for every single person that's hearing my voice today. Your life is not a product of luck or chance. Your parents might not have planned for you, but God did. And he planned not only for your birth, but from, for, for all of your life, there is a good plan. Jeremiah 33, I'm sorry, Jeremiah 29, 11. There is a good plan for your life. And so if you wander out of the way, if you wander out of the plan, off the plan, then you become a target for the enemy. Just like ignorance makes us a target for the enemy, so does wandering out of the way. Now, I have been, as I say, in both situations in my lifetime, and I'm thankful that this verse tells us Verse 2 of Hebrews 5, that Jesus has compassion on us. So he's ready to help us. 
Amen. He's ready to help us. He said, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He said, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally and upbraids not. So, so we can overcome this situation. Amen. Then the third reason that trouble comes, and this is one that probably uh, we, we would think more about when we talk about trouble because of the way that usually we have been taught over the years in churches, but uh, this is just one of, of the three ways I want to talk to you about today, and that is the wiles of the devil. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 11. The wiles of the devil. There's one preacher said the willies of the devil. Ephesians 6 chapter 11th verse, Paul says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. That word wiles means uh, schemes or methods. We might say it this way, conspiracies and plans, strategies of the devil. So, so trouble comes, number one, because we're just in a troubled world. And trouble is out there that has to be dealt with from time to time. Trouble comes when we are ignorant or we're out of the way that we're supposed to be in. And then number three, one great cause of trouble is Satan's conspiracies, Satan's plans and strategies. And you know, he'll plan for years to take you out on a certain day to get you into that place where you're in more trouble than you can get out of at the moment. People have wrestled with this question for, for generations. Why do bad things happen to good people? Uh, and, of course, the easy answer that's not the right answer, the wrong answer that's easy is just, well, it's all God. But we've already read, we're in trouble with that answer now already because we know too much. Because Jesus already told us he came that we might have life and have it abundantly. He told us it's a thief that comes not but for to steal, kill, and destroy. And so, so we realize that, uh, that if, if, if bad things happen, it has to go back to the devil. It has to go back to the fall. It has to go back to sin. It has to go back to the fallen nature and the fallen world that we're in. And so, therefore, it's very important. I mean, it's one of the most important things you'll ever learn about is to learn about your authority and your power over the enemy. In the same sixth chapter of the book of Ephesians, he describes, beginning there in verse number 10, to be strong in the Lord, he gives us that injunction, and in the power of his might, the strength of God, the authority of his strength. We are to walk in that place and put on the whole armor of God. And he describes it. And we're not going to be teaching today about the armor of God, but he describes it. And I'd encourage you to reread that passage again, verses 10 through 17. But what we understand is that we have to walk in our place and our position of authority in order to overcome the devil. People that are waiting on God to run the devil off, they'll never get the devil ran off. God's not going to run the devil off from you, and God's not going to do what you're supposed to do, just like you and I can't do what God is, only God can do. I can't do God's part. Well, listen, God's not going to do your part. And so when it comes to the devil, he understands power and authority. 
And that's why Paul, in the same book of Ephesians, chapter 1, prayed for the Ephesians to have the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him, so that we might understand three things. We might understand the hope of His calling, the riches of the glory of His inheritance, number two, and number three, the exceeding greatness of His power to usward who believe And he said it's the same power that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him in the heavenly places far above all principality, above all, not some, not most, but all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named. In other words, you and I uh, learn about and God wants us to understand that kind of authority and, and he goes on to say and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church which is his body that's us say that's me which is his body the fullness of him that filleth all in all and so the devil is according to this scripture under your feet Even if in the body of Christ, if I am only the bottom layer of skin on the bottom of the foot, I'm still above the devil. Hallelujah. I'm still in a better place than he is. And by the way, nobody's been a loser longer than the devil. And you don't have to lose. So what we want to do this morning, if we're going to deal with trouble effectively, is determine the source of the trouble and then act accordingly. Determine the source of the trouble. When you come into these situations, just take a quick inventory. How is this happening? Now, we know that you know you can just generally blame the devil for anything bad, and that's accurate. But if you want to zero in and you want to really find out the quickest, best way to get out of my trouble, then you need to figure out exactly how does this thing happen? Why is it here? Is it just because we're in a fallen world? You don't know of anything else? Well, then you still have authority over the devil, and you are in the world, but you're not of the world. And so though the world has fallen, this is not my home. I'm a pilgrim. I'm a stranger. I'm just passing through. Amen? And so I have a right to use the name of Jesus, and I have a right to use the Word of God as a sword, And I have a right to carve out, if you will, with the sword of the Word of God, I can carve out my own life here. I can set a parameter around me that the devil dare not cross. I am under the blood. I am a righteous new creation in Christ. I am in Him, and He is in me. The Holy Ghost lives on the inside of me, and greater is He that's in me than he that's in the world. I have this authority that we've been talking about and reading about in Christ Jesus. And therefore, the devil is not going to run over me. He's not going to run over my household, even though the world is a fallen world. And I know that there are troubles out there. Things happen. We have to do stuff we don't want to do. Maybe the car breaks down or maybe, you know, something happens or, you know, somebody uh, does something or says something we don't like and all of that. That happens in the world. But you can take the word and carve out your own world amen and whereas it is appropriate you take authority over the enemy and what's going on and you do the best you can to be the best representative of Jesus the best ambassador for Christ you can be and then move on and he'll take care of you and then you can also you have to determine is as this happened to me because I've just been ignorant I didn't say stupid I'm not calling anybody stupid 
But is it just because of something I don't know or I didn't know? Is that how I got here? And if it is, just repent. Ask God for wisdom and make the appropriate changes. And you know what? If, you, if you're in a mess that it took six years to get into, it might take more than six minutes to get out. You could start immediately, but in, in some of those situations, it's a, it's a walk back out. And every step is a step of victory. Every step is a step in the right direction. You know, we're, we're impatient people. We don't like to wait. We want God to fix everything right now. You know, and I think some people's prayers almost is, you know, Lord, kill them and that'll solve the problem. That's not going to work. That's not going to work. Covetous is not the answer. If I just had your stuff, if I just had somebody else's stuff, if you'd just give all your stuff to me, that's not godliness. That's covetousness. That's the basis of communism, socialism. And as I said Wednesday night, it seems to work somewhat until you run out of other people's money. I keep going there, don't I? But we need to understand, is, is this problem because I'm ignorant or is it because I've gotten out of the way? I mean, that's a hard one sometimes to admit too. You know, I just got mad and I messed up. And all the men would say, amen. I just said the wrong thing. I did the wrong thing. And, you know, that may not always be such a big deal. But if you really do get out of the way far enough, you're going to get in trouble. You're going to get in trouble. And uh, you need to understand that uh, the only way to get out of that kind of trouble is you've got, to, you've got to repent. And you know what repentance means? Repentance means this. I'll give you this simple illustration of repentance. I'm walking in this direction, and I'm going to repent right now. See, a lot of people are in trouble and they really don't want to do what I just did. They want somehow, some way for God to fix it while I'm still doing that. Or I'm still nursing that grudge or that attitude. Or I'm still disobeying where my body's concerned, where my time is concerned. I'm still disobeying where my money is concerned. But I want God to fix it. It's not going to happen. If we've got out of the way... We've got to turn around and get back in the way. And I don't mean in the way in a bad way. I mean in the right way. And then if we determine the source is actually it's just an attack of the devil, a scheme of the devil. And I'm not saying that some of these couldn't be almost combinations. I don't know where that food smell is coming from, but it smells pretty good. <laughs> Nothing like the smell of grease on Sunday morning. Amen. But anyway... <laughs> Smells like Chick-fil-A. I don't know. Uh, that's not spiritual at all. Lord, help us. Forgive me. Uh, but if, you, if it is, no matter what, what single one it might be of these three things or a combination of them, what we understand is that it's always about the devil trying to stop us. You've you got to get ruthless with the devil. You gotta, sometimes you've got to get loud with him. You may have to go in from your porch and go into the inner closet. You might have to go to the basement. You might have to go to your garage. But there are times, not all the time, not every day perhaps, but there are times you just got to let the devil know that you know. You just have to let him know that you know. You know what he's up to. You know what this is. 
You know that this is a spiritual thing. You know that this is not a normal thing for the kingdom, so it's coming from another kingdom. You know it's from, from the devil, and you've got to put him in his place. And the greatest example of this that we have in all of the scripture is, is found in Luke 4 when Jesus did that very thing with the devil when he was tempted of the devil. Let me ask you this question. If it was necessary for Jesus to use the spoken word of God and quote scriptures to run the devil off, why would we think that we could use any other method and it's going to work? Why would we think that if the devil would come to Jesus and tempt him with all the things he tempted him with, and we're told in Scripture that he was tempted in all points like as we are, why would we think that then when we're tempted or when the test of trial comes to us, that somehow or another we're exempt, we don't have to do that, it's not going to affect us? We need to get with the program. Because it's not the intent of God that this stuff dominate our life. It's not God's intent that we stay parked at this place of trouble for the next 14 years. It's not God's intent that this becomes our defining moment, in other words, that we are defined by the problem. No, we're defined by who we are in Christ. There is no problem, no weakness, no manifestation of any evil spirit or no mess that ever has come to my life that is the definition of who I am. But I find who I am when I open the pages of this book. I am in Christ and He is in me. You know, a lot of people, they're defined by their problem. And they talk about their problem all the time. They use it to define who they are. They want everybody to make allowances and exceptions for their problem. They want everybody to acknowledge their problem. They just want to live there. That's who they are. No, thank you. Satan, you're under my feet. You're not going to attach that thing to me. I am not anything the devil says I am, but I am who Jesus says I am. I am who the Word says I am. I'm what the Word says I am. I can do what the Word says I can do. Hallelujah. Trouble's always about stopping you. That's what the devil's about. Now let me point this out, and we'll close in just a few minutes. Uh, you said, you notice I said a few minutes. So what does a few mean? Well, let's, 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 here's something you do need to know. There are obedience and faith tests that come from God. They're not trouble. They're not temptations. They're not really trials. You know, you try something because you don't know. You know, one time I tried sushi. I'm not a fan. I'm just not a fan. Amen. <laughs> Thank you, brother. <laughs> you know, but I know some people love it. I can't figure it out, but some people love it. Well, I tried it. And the reason I tried it is, well, really the reason I tried it is because some preacher talked me into it. But anyway, I tried, I tried it because I didn't know. So it was a trial. So it was, it was two, two sushis in one. It was my first and my last. <laughs> and please don't come and tell me, well, you just didn't have good sushi. There's no such thing. <laughs> anyway... Um, you try something because you don't know. That's why God never tries you. Not in that true sense of the word because God does know. He already knows. So God isn't trying. God is 
testing. You know, when I was growing up in my early years, particularly in school, I had some pretty good teachers. Anybody remember those days in school when, when you know, teachers, I mean, they made sure you learned something if they had to take a board to your behind. I don't know why we keep going there today. I mean, I'm not about child abuse. I'm not, I'm not in favor of abusing child, children. You know that. But um, I remember, you know, I respected my teachers because I knew that if I didn't do what they said, I was in trouble there. And I knew if I got in trouble there, I got in trouble when I got home. I did not want, that was trouble that would come from being out of the way for sure. But I wasn't ignorant of it. I knew what would happen. Anyway, the point I'm making is they, they, um, they taught us some good things. And, and the best teachers were the ones who really knew what you knew. And so when they gave you a test, they really weren't testing you because they didn't think you knew it. They were giving you a test to go through the formality so you could prove that you were ready for promotion. And that's what God's tests are about. They're all about your promotion. They're not about punishing. They're about promoting. They're not about holding you back. They are about pushing you forward to the next level. You might not always know the total outcome, but God knows the outcome. And his tests are never to steal, kill, and destroy. They are to bring us to a place of promotion. And one of the reasons is to show you that you can. When God tested Abraham in the offering of Isaac, Abraham passed the test and Isaac didn't have to die on the altar. That shows you how, how, how good God's tests are. But there was a period of time when Abraham had to make up his mind that I'm going to do what God is telling me to do, but, and here's the big thing, read Hebrews. See, if you only read Genesis, you don't get the full picture. You have to go to Hebrews to find out the other side of the coin there. Abraham knew that if he did put the knife through Isaac and burn him on the altar, that God would, of those ashes, raise up his son. So you see, he passed the test. And that's what I want you to understand. And see, there comes another thing. This is why you need to spend time every day in God's presence. This is why you need to pray much in the Holy Ghost. And you need to read your word and read it over and over and let it speak to you and meditate the word because you begin to learn things. Because, see, you need to understand the next time you're in kind of a difficult position, now you need to understand, uh, is this trouble that's come from one of these sources I've already talked about? Or do I recognize this situation? It's not really trouble. It's just being called upon, being stretched by God to pass a test. Sometimes passing the test is walking in love with somebody that's very difficult to love. Sometimes passing the test is giving uh, more than we've ever given before. Sometimes, pass, sometimes passing the test is, is uh, yielding to somebody else, even though you really want to do something in a certain way. But love says you're going to let the other person have their way. You're going to, you're going to yield. You see, we can pass those tests. They're obedience tests. They're faith tests. And they are intended to promote us and to bring us to increase 
and the manifested blessings. I want to say this. God never tests us with what he's redeemed us from. I want to say that again. That's important to know. God is not ever going to test you with that which he's already laid upon Jesus and redeemed you from. So God's not testing you with sickness and disease. God's not testing you with poverty. God's not testing you with anything that you are redeemed from. His word, your Bible, and his spirit, the Holy Ghost within, is more than adequate to teach us and guide us. The test of obedience is about promotion. So here's what I want to close with today. And in closing, which of course in preacher talk means nothing. In closing today, here's what I want to say. How do you build on the rock? The storms come, the tests will come. The storm comes to every life. How do you build the foundation on the rock? Well, Jesus told us. We started today. We're right back where we started, and that's a good place to stop. Jesus told us, He that heareth my words, my sayings, and does them. It's really simple. It's not a complicated formula. Hearing the word, doing the word. Hearing the word, doing the word. Hearing the word, doing the word. Hearing the word today, hearing the word tomorrow, hearing the word the next day, the next day, the next day, and on, and doing the word today, doing the word tomorrow, the next day, and the next day, and the next day. Hearing the word, that's not complicated, and there are two ways you hear the word, and I've got to get this out before I close today. You hear the word doing what you're doing right now. That's one way. You hear the word by hearing someone teach the word. You might listen today. We have the benefit of podcasts and videos and so forth, online stuff, and it's all great. And that's one way of hearing the word. But the most powerful way, the most powerful way is when you hear you. You believe you more than you believe anybody on the planet, unless you're a liar. If you have integrity, then you believe your words. There is something in the human makeup that is so powerful in this regard that there are people actually that have even told lies so many times and so long that they now believe it. Humans were made to hear, speak, and do words. We were created that way. When, when God came down in the cool of the day and talked with Adam, Adam wasn't, at that point, he wasn't reading a book. God came down, he was, he was talking. He was hearing the voice of God. And of course, God spoke his word because he knew the, that the planet would be populated with billions of people and... and um, of course, after the fall, God was not coming down in the same way at that point. Uh, so he spoke his word so that it could be written. And it was written so that it could be spoken. It's the cycle of faith that never stops. And you speaking the word is one of the most powerful ways you'll ever hear the word.
It will change your believing. You know, it, let me say this. If there's anything in your life that you're having trouble believing for, you just can't seem to see yourself being or having that thing that the Word says you should be or should have. Just continue to speak that Word over your life. You will school yourself into faith. You'll change that inner picture when you change the words that you speak. I mean, you know, if, if we had uh, Nick's dog, Gaia, she's back there re relaxing. But if she were up here, you'd see her. Most of you know what she looks like, a beautiful dog. Then over here, we had maybe somebody here has a little uh, small little white poodle dog. When I started talking about the white poodle dog, what happened to, to the German Shepherd? Just for a moment of time, the German Shepherd was out of the picture. Now you're seeing the white dog. That's the power of words. It's not a magic trick. That's just how words work. And you're going to have to paint that picture of your victory and your blessing and your success on the canvas of your own heart and on the canvas of your mind with the words of your mouth. Jesus said, he that heareth these sayings. So every time I'm speaking the word, professing, every time I'm holding fast to my confession, I am hearing the word. And then the next step, I've got to do the word. Now, I know a lot of people today, especially, we, we just kind of have a little bit of a, of a blip on the, on the radar screen in the, in the full gospel world today. They're just, there's these, these folks that, you know, they just seem to have a, a little bit of a skewed view of how, how this, all this works and the grace of God works. And it's almost like, well, you know, we really, we're finding out we don't have to do anything. Well, how in the world is that working out for you? How's it going to work out? Not good, I can tell you that. Because faith without corresponding actions is dead. James said it's like a body that's dead. That's how dead it is. And James also said that it's with your tongue that you steer your life like a, like a ship is steered by the rudder. Or we put bits in the mouths of horses to get them to go the direction we want to go. That's the same way your tongue is. So you, you're speaking the word, and then you're doing the word. So you've got to believe accurately based on the word. You have to speak accurately based on the word. And then you have to do the word. Those three areas have to align, or you're not going to have what the word says. And I can tell you it's very frustrating to sit in a church like this and hear about the greatness of God and do without it. So like Dr. Lillian B. Yeomans, who was a great teacher of healing many, many years ago, said, if I pray and I don't get results, I start changing. She knew, like we know, God's not the problem. And we now know we have authority over the devil. So maybe I need to make some adjustments. Maybe I need to make some adjustments. I've got to get my believing right. I've got to get my talking right. And I've got to get my actions right. And then I'm ready for all of this download of blessing from God. Amen? Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for its power. Thank you for your glory. And Lord, we count it joy even when we're in trouble. We know you didn't send it. We know that that's not from you. 
But we're rejoicing because we know we've got victory. And actually, our testimony of victory is going to put the devil on the run. He's made a gamble, but he's a loser. We are victors, not victims. And we thank you for what you have taught us and what you've said to us and what you're doing for us through the word. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Anybody in here today and you say, I don't know the Lord or I need to get right with God. If you'll put your hand up, I'd like to pray with you. Anybody? Anybody anywhere? Maybe you're at home. You need to say, Lord, forgive me. If you're a backslider, say, Lord, forgive me of my sins and take me back. I want to be in fellowship with you. I walked away. I wandered away. I'm, I'm repenting. I'm doing the 180. I'm coming back. And he'll take you back. If you've never known the Lord, just so simple and so easy. Jesus made it easy because he did all the work to receive Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. To confess Jesus, the living Savior. I believe that he died for me. I believe that he rose from the dead. I believe that he's at the Father's right hand now as my Lord and my high priest. And I receive him as such. I will serve you the rest of my life. I am a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for making me a new creation in Christ today. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I'm going to ask you, if you will, to stand to your feet. I know you've been seated a long time. Lay your hands, if you will, on your body anywhere. But if you can, if there's any place in your body that is suffer, you're suffering with anything, if it's appropriate, lay your hands on that place. And in the name of Jesus right now, Father, I speak life. I speak healing. Lord, you're a miracle worker. It's your touch. It's your power that's necessary for healing to come. Human power might assist nature and we're grateful for that but that which has progressed beyond that point must have a supernatural touch of God so I'm believing you Lord today to touch those that will agree with me and believe with me right now that the power of God is at work in their bodies from the top of their head to the soles of their feet in the nomombre stevelo bocotoria varapahashikili babando. The name of Jesus, power over every sickness, over every disease, every spirit of infirmity, every spirit of fear, every spirit of death. In the name of Jesus, we serve notice upon you. You are not allowed to stay. Leave the premises. Leave our bodies. Leave this room. In Jesus' name. We believe we're healed. Let's put our hands up and thank God. Thank God for healing on the 10th of July, 2022. Thank God for my receiving of my healing now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, I receive. I believe, I receive, I believe, I receive, I believe, I receive. Hallelujah. You know that's... The key is to believe you receive. Somebody said, well, I, but what, if, what about my feelings or what about this? That's not, that's not what we're talking about. Believing you receive. 
All that other stuff has to line up. But you will find some way, somehow, at some point in time, you have to come to the place you believe you receive. And once that happens, the devil is doomed <laughs> in that situation. Amen? I was asked to pray over a prayer cloth. So I have several here in case there's other people who need one. But uh, we will pray right now. And believe God that the anointing...